The views expressed on TMI with Aldous Tyler do not necessarily reflect those of WSUMFM, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or the Board of Regents. Oh no, the views expressed in the next hour are all mine. Tyler for Friday, August 7th, 2020. Now, one of the things I'd like to do with this program whenever possible is to expand people's awareness of other human beings. And um, not only that, but sometimes expand their awareness of themselves. Now, ever since, of course, uh, time immemorial, there have been labels that have been applied to people who didn't fit the standard definition of sexuality or gender, and many of these labels were less than kind. But it's been brought to my attention recently that there are a number of labels out there that have been invented uh, most recently to be kind labels because they were invented by the people who wanted them. I wanted to introduce you to a number of them today because I think that, well, I posted this online uh, in the last week, and I discovered, to my surprise, that there were a number of people in my friends list who um, immediately were like, oh my God, thank you for posting this. I never knew that that word would apply to me or that that word existed, and now I have this. Uh, so I want to share this with you. Uh, let's start off with a word, trixic, and that's spelled T-R-I-X-I-C, trixic. Now, trixic is a word that means that there is, a, it's a romantic and sexual orientation that refers to non-binary people who are attracted to women. Now, I'll cover this first few, what we mean by such things. Non-binary means you don't necessarily identify as a man or a woman per se. You don't identify along those genders. You know, being male and female isn't really something that uh, feels home to you. So you're non-binary. Well, if you are that way, non-binary in your gender, uh, personal gender, but you are still attracted to women on a sexual and romantic level, trixic is your term. Another one is toric, which is just like trixic, except that refers to non-binary people who are attracted to men in a sexual or romantic way. So where trixic is non-binaries who are attracted to women, toric are non-binaries who are attracted to men. Novosexual. Now, Novosexual is a term for which, uh, where you cannot say what your sexuality or gender really is because it's not permanent. It can be described as being gender fluid or uh, some other uh, way of some sexuality or whatever at one time in such a way that there's no consistency in one's gender sexuality. So basically, if you are not just gender fluid, um, 
but you're also what's called abrosexual, and I'll get into that in a minute. That means that basically where you are on the scale of male to female, where you are on the scale of if you're attracted to men, women, or both, it keeps changing. And so that would be your term, novosexual. Fraysexual, that's F-R-A-Y, sexual. That's on the asexual spectrum. That's defined as when someone only experiences sexual attraction towards those that they are not deeply connected with and lose that attraction as they get to know the person. Now, this might seem strange if you're not of this category, but basically... A frasexual is someone who is only really sexually attracted to people that they don't really have a deep connection to. And as they get to know them better, that sexual attraction tends to, to wane, tends to fade away. Um, and this actually does go along with some of the concepts uh, that I've heard. For example, a familiarity breeds contempt is, is a term. Well, this is a, uh, a sexual attraction version of that, where the more familiar you are, the less attracted you are to somebody. And uh, again, remember, I'm bringing these to light in no way, shape, or form as mockery. I'm trying to bring these to light educationally. Next term is pomosexual. That's P-O-M-O. Pomosexual. And that relates to a person who does not wish their sexuality to be put in a conventional category at all. Now, in some ways, this is a little ironic because we're giving a category to someone who doesn't want their sexuality to be put into a conventional category, period. So uh, you may grab this label if you wish. Uh, I would not recommend applying it to anyone else because, after all, that would be putting a label on someone who says they don't want a label on their sexuality. Uh, next up, abrosexual. You may remember that I used this uh, back with novosexual a, a bit ago. Someone who is abrosexual, that's A-B-R-O, sexual, has a fluid sexual orientation. They experience different sexual orientations over time. And uh, it can move back and forth or whatever. This is the sexual attraction version of gender fluid, where with gender fluid, you may experience different gender uh, um, identities over time. With abrosexual, you experience different sexual orientations over time. And combine those, you get novosexual. Next term is omnisexual. Now, omnisexual people are similar to pansexuals, but omnisexuals like all genders. They can have preferences. They're not necessarily considered gender blind, but they simply say, hey, look, omnisexuals say, hey, I can be attracted to any and all genders, period. Cupiosexual is your next term. Cupio, that's C-U-P-I-O, sexual, is a subset of asexual. And I haven't discussed this yet, but asexual are people who generally don't experience um, sexual attraction. But cupiosexual is a subset of that. It's used to describe asexuals who still desire a sexual relationship. They experience no sexual desire per se, but they want a relationship where sex is a part of it. Uh, I understand. Again, if this is not something that applies to you. Some of these may seem strange, but I'm making sure to put these out there in case it does actually, you know, hit home. Next up is 
lithosexual. That's L-I-T-H-O sexual. And that's a sexual orientation on the asexual spectrum. Uh, someone who is lithosexual may experience sexual attraction, but does not want it reciprocated. In other words, while they can might feel an attraction to somebody, they really don't want that person to reciprocate that attraction. Next term, gray sexual. Now, gray sexual, that's G-R-A-Y or G-R-E-Y sexual, is used to refer to people who experience limited, but not no sexual attraction. In other words, they experience sexual attraction very rarely or with very low intensity. This can sometimes be called gray asexuality, gray a or gray ace, but it's it's not completely asexual, but it's it's getting there. Demisexual. A demisexual person does not experience sexual attraction until they have formed a strong emotional connection with a prospective partner. Uh, the definition of emotional bond can vary from person to person. Uh, demisexuals can have any romantic orientation, but basically speaking, they don't experience attraction sexually unless they have a strong emotional connection with that partner. Pansexual. Now, pansexual means being attracted to all genders without any preferences whatsoever and are considered gender blind. That's the difference between omnisexual and pansexual. Omnisexual isn't considered gender blind. You recognize this gender, that gender, etc. And none of that actually stops you from being attracted. With pansexual, you basically don't see gender. When you see a human being, gender is not something you consider uh, at all. And that's why you can be attracted to any gender, because that's not even a consideration. Bisexual. Now, this is a term that goes all the way back to the 80s and possibly slightly earlier than that. So keep in mind, it's going to cover some territory some of the other ones have so far. But let's just go ahead and, and go with this. A bisexual is someone who is attracted to more than one gender. You might care about the gender of your partner a lot, a little or not at all, but their gender doesn't prevent you from being attracted to them. That's what it means. Now, androgen, that's A-N-D-R-O-G-Y-N-E, androgen or androgyne. Um, traditionally, this word is def defined as another word for an androgynous person or a person with intersex genitalia. Uh, androgyne is also a word for a non-binary non gender identity that exists in the rough middle of the gender spectrum between male and female in both presentation and identity. Uh, androgyne people often seek to wear androgynous types of clothes to reflect their gender. Now, not all androgyne people dress this way, but it is the trend. Neutral pronouns are usually used by these people, but again, that's not always the case. The point being is, is that they clearly feel that they're on the spectrum between male and female, but they feel they're pretty close to the middle. Arrow Ace. Now, Arrow Ace, which uh, is a, an abbreviation of aromantic, asexual. It's an identity that uh, basically means that they have no romantic feelings for other human beings and no sexual attractions for other human beings. And uh, as this is not a considered a societally typical orientation, they are absolutely welcomed amongst the, uh, the definitions we're talking about here.
Now, an oriented arrow ace is somebody who's, again, aromantic and asexual, but they experience a form of attraction that's neither romantic or sexual, but is significant enough to warrant a place alongside their arrow ace orientation. It's possible to be attracted without necessarily being sexual or gender-based. So that would be an oriented arrow ace. Now, polyamorous. What this means, straight off, is being open to intimate relationships with more than one person. Uh, Dating as a polyamorous person means that you're not looking for just one person to share a romantic or sexual connection with, necessarily. Gender queer, as I mentioned before. Uh, Actually, no, that was gender fluid. So gender queer denotes or relates to a person who does not subscribe to a conventional gender distinction, but identifies with neither, both, or a combination of male and female genders. Next term is demiboy. A demi-guy or a demi-boy, a demi-man, demi-male, is a gender identity describing someone who uh, partially but not wholly identifies as man, boy, or otherwise masculine, regardless of their assigned gender at birth. Bigender is kind of like bisexual. It denotes or relates to a person whose sense of personal identity encompasses two genders. Gender fluid is, as I mentioned earlier, a person who does not identify themselves as having a fixed gender. It can change over time. Transgender is someone whose sense of personal identity and gender does not correspond with the sex they had at birth. So the sense of personal identity and gender is not matching what would have been on their birth certificate from the doctor, basically. That's transgender. Trigender is a gender identity which can be literally translated as three genders or triple gender. Now, trigender people experience exactly three gender identities, either simultaneously or varying between them. These three gender identities can be male, female, and or any non-binary identities. Gray romantic. Now, gray romantic may experience romantic attraction only occasionally. Um, again, this is like aromantic, gray romantic is, uh, is, uh, one of those things where again, it's occasional, but it just simply isn't there a lot. Um, they may desire a romantic relationship. That's not quite platonic and not quite romantic, but the point is, is that they're almost aromantic, but not quite. Demiflux. Demiflux is a gender a gender identity where one part is static and the others fluctuate in intensity. It could also be felt in a way that the intensity of their demigender identity fluctuates. But basically, in this case, a demiflux is where, again, one part is solid. Like, okay, well, I feel masculine in this way or I feel feminine in this way. The rest, that can be up for grabs depending on the day or other things. Demi-fluid. Now, those are people who are fluid between demigenders. So they have multiple stations where they say, okay, I know I go from here and I know I go to here, but it can vary which one I'm at 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 any particular moment. But they know their stations and they have identity built around them. 
gray gender. A gray gender is a person who identifies at least partially outside the gender binary and has a strong natural ambivalence about their gender identity or gender expression. They just don't care. It doesn't seem to apply. They don't feel that gender has any part of their identity. A demigirl is very much like demi-guy or demi, uh, etc., except it's a demigirl, a demi-woman is gender where a person partially identifies as a woman or with feminine characteristics. And gender flux. Well, that's a person who is, um, a per I should say, a person who's gender flux experiences a range of intensity within a gender identity. For example, a person who is boy flux may identify as a fully masculine to partially masculine and slightly masculine to fully agender, depending. Pangender. Pangender is a non-binary gender identity for a person whose gender encompasses the entirety of the gender spectrum. So again, for them, um, it's almost being gender blind uh, at your own identity, but not being outside the spectrum. So it's not gray gender, it's pangender. Alexagender. Alexagender is fluid between more than one gender, but the individual cannot tell what those genders are. This is a tricky one. You would only know if it applies if it actually applies to you. I mean, basically what I'm trying to do here by giving you these is to give you an idea that there are ways to identify yourself now that are considered positive, that are considered acknowledgments that people do this, that there are others out there that feel these ways because they're the ones who made these terms to describe themselves. And these terms are out there to apply to yourself if you feel that they naturally fit. And that's the reason why I'm putting it out there today for everyone, because it sucks feeling alienated. It sucks feeling like there's no place for yourself anywhere. If any of these labels I just laid out for you, and I went through 30 some of them, feel like they apply, well, congratulations. Like the person who made that label, you're a fellow human being. You're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler. We'll be right back.
And we're back, TMI, with Aldous Tyler. Now, you know, there's, um, there's a saying that if you take what's handed to you, then you deserve what you get. And some of us out here just aren't that happy with what's being handed to us. Oh, sure. We've been handed Trump. We don't like that. But, you know, more than that, there's also the other side of things where the Democratic National Committee and its series of uh, <clears throat> primaries have managed to hand us a uh, candidate known as Joe Biden. And um, for many of us without short memories, we have a list of shortcomings that makes Biden less than, shall we say, spectacular a choice. Some people are deciding that we really should do something about that before it's too late. Joining us right now, we have Preston Smith. He's part of the March Against Biden. Preston, welcome to TMI. Thank you for having me. All right. So basically, let me just make sure I understand this. This is happening on the 8th, correct? Yes, we're starting on the 8th. Uh, we're also going to do um, on the 15th. And we'll go from there, uh, depending on, on how things go, um, depending on what's, uh, what we get accomplished. But we're also going to be working on uh, doing a, uh, what I'm calling a remote campaign, where we're going to um, uh, mailings, emails, phone calls, uh, to the DNC, to the to the super delegates, to uh, to everybody that's involved with uh, with the with the corruption that uh, has taken place with this uh, this election. Right um, now, now you and I both know that this doesn't necessarily need to be said between us, at least. But because we have listeners, let's make this very clear: this is not a pro-Trump march at all. We are looking no. at we're looking at wanting to have our best shot at actually defeating Trump, and we're pretty sure Biden's not that. Correct. Correct. All right. So basically, right now we are begging, begging the DNC to change course so that we actually have a viable alternative that stands the best chance of overcoming all of the tricks, chicanery, and machinery that Trump and the GOP are going to throw at the presidential election this fall. Correct. Yeah, because we, we know that um, there's no way that, that Biden's going to be able to handle those debates against Trump. I mean, he's, he's already started, at least in my area, Trump's already started um, airing ads against Biden, um, you know, with uh, affecting his, you know, talking about how he's, uh, you know, how he's losing it mentally, which, I mean, it, it's a sad day when I have to agree with Donald Trump, um, but it's, it's, it's true. I mean, he, the, the man can barely string two sentences together. I should also mention that we're not, while a good majority of people that we've polled that are interested in our event are um, more for uh, Bernie Sanders, we have not officially endorsed anybody we're we're bringing where we want to bring in anybody that uh that's progressive um and and feels that um you know they've they've been uh, they've been cheated um i mean at this at this point though it would probably make the most sense that if the dnc is going to um replace him let's go with the person that um that got the uh, second highest amount of delegates, which would be Bernie, right. um, but we've never officially endorsed anybody. So I don't want anyone to be, to think that this is like, you know, a bunch of Bernie bros that, uh, that just didn't get their way. <laughs> it's for anybody that's, it's for anybody that's upset with how, how things went from right. the people that, you know, you had the people that, um, you know, coalesced around Biden right before super Tuesday, which was very, very suspicious and all that. 
Well, and I mean, it's not even suspicious so much as clearly what they realized was that they were not going to be able to stop the steamroller that was the Sanders campaign unless they did something to artificially consolidate the other side. Um, so they did. I mean, it, it's they're, they're, there's just no two ways about it. There's no conspiracy theory to that. They just simply realized we're going to have to coalesce around one candidate, so we better pick one. And they decided to pick Uncle Joe. Um, now, the thing is, is that even back in uh, early March, uh, it seemed pretty clear to most people who were observing um, Mr. Biden that uh, we were looking at a candidate that was... Uh, I mean, I, okay, I hate to be overly outrageous with this, but honest to gosh, the, the people who have been helping him and encouraging him to campaign seem almost to me like they're committing a form of elder abuse. I mean, this is a man who really should have been allowed to honorably and gently enjoy his retirement. I'd agree. I mean, I don't feel any ill will necessarily towards the man, even though he has, you know, some credible accusations against him um, in terms of uh, sexual impropriety. I mean, everyone's innocent until proven guilty, but I mean, we've, we've seen, we've seen the videos where he's acting rather, you know, gropey with, with, you know, young girls and everything. Um, But it's, it's, it's just kind of sad to see, to see the decline that he's, he's been on. Um, but at the same time, you know, you gotta, you gotta look at everything. Um, again, I don't feel any ill will towards him, but at this, but you know, we, you gotta hold everybody accountable. Absolutely. Now, uh, quick thing about this, Preston, where, where exactly are these marches going to be held? Our main focus was to get them at uh, DNC locations throughout the country. And um, if we've had people looking into um, into where they can be uh, where they can be held and everything. Um, most uh, most of them are at uh, DNC locations. There's a few that are going to be at uh, uh, like city halls and stuff. The main focus is to is to you know is to make is to make some noise and to um, you know to make sure that. Um, you know, we're, we're seen because what we're going to do, what we're hoping to do is have everybody, we have a demand list of the DNC and our goal is to have everybody, um, have that, take that list and they're going to tape it to the door of the, um, of the DNC headquarters in the city they're at. Um, we're, we're kind of taking a page out of the book of, uh, movement for people's party what they did the last uh, few weekends where they went to uh, members of congress's home and they had a demand list on getting uh legislation enacted that would help people during this uh during the you know during this uh coronavirus pandemic um and you know they, if they didn't have if nobody answered the door they they, they taped the demand letter to their home so we're going to do the same thing we're actually working with people's party they're uh uh, they reached out to us, and we've kind of, we've uh, we've brought them on as allies to uh, to really to really amp this up. Um, our goals are very much aligned in that um, you know the the, the two party duopoly is has got to go, and um, they're gonna um, they're they're helping us uh, get get things going with this. But we're gonna have everybody um, you know if if no one's at the office or whatever, uh, we're gonna have people tape tape the demand letter to the to the door. We're going to have people calling. Uh, we're going to have people mailing. We're going to have people 
emailing. Um, and that's all going to uh, start on the same day. And then all that, you know, the, the mailings and phone calls and stuff that can keep going. And it would actually be, I'd, I'd like it too, if people would be able to, um, you know, even if you, if you, even if you did attend a March, do, do one or more of, of those other things as well. Really make, really make your voice heard, um, you know, make them, make them know that we're not going away. Right. All right, Preston. So here's the question then. If somebody were to want to join in on this demonstration, which again, the demonstration is all about trying to make sure that the only actual viable opposition to Donald Trump is actually hale, hardy, and vibrant and able to take him on without, uh, without pause or issue. Um, if somebody wants to join this movement, how would they look it up online? If they go to our Facebook page that has all the information on there, uh, facebook.com slash Biden March. And if they go to events, they'll see we've got about uh, 20 something uh, different events scheduled for the 8th already. Um, we haven't really set anything up for the 15th yet, but that's coming. Um, that's that's the main hub of where where everything is, uh, is, is posted. So if they go to that page, they'll find um, they'll find a list of a, a list of events. Uh, where they can where they can go, um, and uh, just as long as they stay up to date on there, uh, we'll be able to to get them uh, more information as as time goes on as to everything that's going on. Facebook.com/slash Biden March. Excellent. Also, then I will make sure to link through from TMI, TMI, TMI.com to that page. Um, and, uh, and in any posts I put down, I'll try to make sure I get that link there as well, of course. So uh, again, if anybody is interested in joining, uh, feel free to check out either TMI, TMI, TMI.com or go to Facebook.com slash Biden March and check out the events. You said you've got 20 currently for the 8th and uh, the 15th will be upcoming. Of course, that's the week after that. Um, now, just give me a smattering of the uh, cities that we're looking at. Sure, let me pull it up here real quick. Uh, we got um, we got one set in Hershey. We got Orlando, Florida, Baltimore, um, Atlanta, Miami, Dallas. A lot of big cities: um, Chicago, Austin, Texas, San Fran, uh, Washington D.C. at the uh, at the um, main headquarters of the DNC. And one that I'm uh, really happy to, about, someone um, volunteered um, to do one in Joe Biden's neighborhood. Um, <laughs> in Delaware? So, yes. Nice. So we've got, um, we've got places, uh, we're, we're pretty much spanning the entire country um, with, uh, with locations. Um, so I don't, I can't guarantee how many people are going to go to every single one of them. It'd be nice if we could see like, you know, everybody, everybody and their brother out in the street, but you know, the, you know, hopefully my, my main goal is, you know, it can, it can, you know, even if it starts small, if people see what's going on and um, you know, they, they find out more, they'll join in and we can, you know, kind of create this uh, major movement. We've got Preston Smith of March Against Biden on the air with us here on the on the Zoom call, if you will, that we're letting you listen into here on TMI with Aldous Tyler. And uh, Preston, one of the things that just came out this week was that uh, studies that have been done of the uh, amount of COVID-19 infection tracking and things like that surrounding the George Floyd protests show that the protests themselves 
did not significantly in any way, shape, or form actually accelerate the infection uh, of the areas that they were found in. And that, I believe, had lessons that we could learn for other marches, such as while marching, still keeping relatively distant, you know, six feet apart is fine. Wearing masks, of course, very important. Uh, I assume, of course, that the March Against Biden will be taking these lessons to heart. Absolutely. Our, our, our main focus has been uh, if you don't want to, if you can't, if you don't want to be out amongst the general public, you can, you know, stay in your car, um, you know, honking. Um, and then that's why, why we're also doing the uh, remote events, as I've been calling them, where people can uh, send mail, uh, send phone or send emails, uh, make phone calls to the to the DNC, um, to the superdelegates, let them know what's what's going on. Uh, what what that make their make their feelings known, um, but if you do want to act, if you are actually going to uh, be in a physical location, we we require that you that you do wear a mask. Um, you know, be as you know conscious as you can about about social distancing and everything. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, go you know follow all follow all the recommended guidelines, and um, you should be good. That's excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear that because definitely uh, if there's one defining characteristic overall of 2020 so far, it's been this pandemic. So it's good to hear that this is a uh, pandemic aware and compliant march, at least in planning. And uh, with any luck, I mean, put it this way, the George Floyd protests didn't even necessarily have that as part of what they had thought to do, but they wound up doing so anyway. Uh, the amount of masks seen amongst the protesters, the amount of general distancing they attempted to do apparently worked in as much as uh, not, be, not causing any significant increase uh, in uh, the disease vectors uh, for having the, those uh, protests happening. So I'm very glad in a lot of ways that they paved the way for us activists to know how we can march uh, for causes that we believe in and still remain uh, relatively safe and societally responsible. Now, um, speaking of societal responsibility, um, obviously this is not a march where we're endorsing any particular candidate. We're not saying it's got to be Bernie. We're not saying it's it can't be Buttigieg. Um, what we are saying, though, however, with this march, if I understand it correctly, Preston, and please correct me, is that basically speaking, Joe Biden has served this country for 50 years. Um, whether he's done so admirably or not, we'll leave up to you. But the fact is, is that he is not a candidate that is one that we hold any confidence in, that he will be able to defeat Trump and keep us from another four years of the orange menace in the White House. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, we're, we're looking to, to see him replaced with someone that actually has the values of the American people. Um, you know, we need someone that's going to give us health care, um, someone that's going to adopt a, uh, a, um, an aggressive climate, um, climate change, uh, mitigation plan. Um, you know, someone that's going to, uh, help working people, uh, someone that can give us relief in this, in this time of, of crisis. We need someone that's going to, um, who will, uh, you know, actually get uh, have a plan to to curb what's going on with uh, with the with the pandemic spread and the and the spread of um, police brutality, and um, you know we just we don't feel that's that we don't feel that Biden can do that. Um, you know, twenty sixteen, uh, Hillary Clinton, another centrist, one that actually uh, knew where she was all the time, still couldn't beat Trump. 
I mean, the, this this carcass of Joe Biden is 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 laughable. Well, um, it's it's one of those things, Preston, where um, you, as as much vitriol and as much uh, animus as there was against Hillary Clinton in 2016, and there was plenty. No one actually organized a march to uh, ask the DNC to please choose someone more competent because. As uh, however you're going to characterize Hillary Clinton, incompetent doesn't work. Um, however, uh, right now we are actually deeply uh, wondering at Biden's ability to competently pull off a real uh, a, a, the election campaign and even the position itself. Yeah, um, it's it's, and even if he can, even if he makes it like. Nothing's not, he said it himself. Nothing's going to change. We'll go back to the way we were, um, right before, um, right before the, the 2016 election. If we're lucky, you know, it'll be like, you know, 2008 through, through, uh, 2016 under the Obama years, nothing, but nothing's going to fundamentally change. People's standard of living isn't going to improve and come 2024 or 2028, we're going to be back in the same position we are where we got some nut job on the right that wants to, uh, that wants to shake up the system and promise change. And we could be in, 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 in an even worse shape uh, then than we were with, with Donald Trump. And that's, that's what scares me the most is, you know, is, is going, is, is things being even worse than they are now. Absolutely. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been speaking with Preston Smith of the March Against Biden. As a quick reminder, you can find them on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash Biden March. I will again be linking to that at TMI, TMI, TMI.com with events on the 8th. Uh, that would be uh, tomorrow. And of course, the a week after that on the 15th as well. Currently 20 different uh, marches and such planned. So we're going to be, like I said, we're doing this uh, on the 8th and the 15th, and we're going to do these uh, remote events going forward with the mailing and everything. And even if we're not exactly successful, the people have woken up or are waking up to see what's going on in this, in this country, that things are not working for them. I've, been, I've said before that, the, that this pandemic and everything, it's like the old saying that sometimes the universe gets your attention by dropping a brick, a brick by brick by brick, but eventually you get the brick wall. Well, we've got the brick wall. So the powers that be need to know we're not going to go away just because, you know, even if, even if Biden, uh, you know, is made the nominee in, in, at the convention, and even if he does win the presidency, the people are going to keep uh, making uh, making noise, so they can either listen to us now or they're going to keep listening to us um, going forward. So they have the choice of how big of a headache do they really want. So, uh, Preston, I really appreciate you coming on and giving us an overview of what we were looking at. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, you're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler. We'll be right back.
And we're back, TMI, with Aldous Tyler. Now, when we think of Amnesty International, you think of the internationally renowned group that will tell you where human rights violations are occurring around the globe. They'll tell you when there's some dictator in Africa who has managed to uh, commit atrocities against his people. They will tell you when there's a regime in Asia that is oppressing uh, a, a different ethnic group. They'll tell you about violations in South America where perhaps one band of rebels has managed to essentially slaughter another. Things like that, right? They are well-known and well-renowned for documenting all of these kinds of violations. Most recently, Amnesty International came out with a report documenting 125 human rights violations. Now, where were these human rights violations uh, uh committed asia nope africa uh-uh europe nope not south america or central america either no these were here in the usa police in the u.s committed 125 human rights violations in response to the george floyd protests the black lives matter protests according to this new report from amnesty international it was published just this Tuesday here, and Amnesty alleges that the violations occurred in 40 states and the District of Columbia. Now, if you had any doubts as to how widespread the George Floyd protests were, allow that alone to put it to bed. 40 states plus D.C. is where the violations occurred, and you know damn well that there were a number of protests that didn't have these, but it looks like many of them. Probably the majority did. Now, in examining the police response to protests between May 26th and June 5th, now, we're, <laughs> just to be clear, we're not talking about the extended, extended protests. We're talking about just about one, maybe one and a half weeks. This group, Amnesty International, that we all respect, for their work around the globe, found that law enforcement agencies here in America violated protesters' rights to peaceful assembly and association through intimidation involving the use of militarized equipment, excessive force including the use of batons, uh, kinetic impact projectiles, that's those rubberized bullets, uh, tear gas, pepper spray, and the targeting of activists, journalists, legal observers, and medics that were there to help people when they were hurt. Now, among the alleged human rights violations are incidents such as the use of pepper balls, smoke canisters to clear protesters from Lafayette Square in Washington, D.C. so that Trump could waltz across the, uh, the way to that church and uh, do his photo opportunity in front of it, holding that Bible as it happens upside down. Appropriate, yes? Also... Uh, there was a deployment of tear gas by Philadelphia police on protesters who were trapped on Interstate 676 in that case. Amnesty International said, In some instances, the excessive use of force that causes severe pain or suffering may constitute torture or other ill treatment in violation of international law. Amnesty International has urged Congress to pass the Protecting Our Protesters Act of 2020, a bill introduced in June by Representative Ilan Omar of Minnesota that would allow the prosecution of officers who willfully kill or injure protesters through the use of force and eliminate the transfer of military equipment to law enforcement agencies. 
The Senate, of course, rejected a proposal last month that would have ended the federal transfer program. And just to be clear, the federal transfer program is one that allows police forces to get military equipment. Now, Amnesty International also recommended that the Justice Department develop national guidelines on the use of tear gas and quote-unquote less lethal kinetic impact projectiles such as the rubber bullets to ensure that there is compliance with international standards, including restricting their use to situations of absolute last resort. Frankly, I don't think they should be used at all by police, but that's me. In the report on Tuesday, Amnesty International used witness and media videos, social media posts, and interviews to expand on an interactive map of the incidents that it released uh, back in June. Now, uh, in Amnesty International, USA Deputy Director of Research Justin Mazzola had this to say. He said, A little has changed in how police respond to protests after the violence in the six years since Ferguson, Missouri. Of course, referring to the police response to protests following the killing of Michael Brown there. Just as we saw, he said, a militarized response and the deployment of excessive amounts of chemical irritants, the indiscriminate and unnecessary use of kinetic impact projectiles and physical force against protesters in Ferguson, we have seen those same tactics used against protesters on a national scale. The report found that police response to the Floyd protests was ultimately a symptom of the very issue that started these protests unaccountable police violence. So let's make sure we understand this. Unaccountable police violence began, was the inspiration for the Black Lives Matter George Floyd protests. And in response to those protests, far more unaccountable police violence ensued. Now, you might shake your head and go, well, that's just a shame. That's terrible. But there is a consequence I'm not sure you're aware of that is coming from all of this. Oh, yes. And that is simply this. Young black Americans are not sold on Joe Biden or the Democratic Party or even voting. Now, how is that connected to the Amnesty International report? Well, it's quite simple. They know that... Throughout the years of Joe Biden being vice president with Barack Obama as president, things kept getting worse. Militarized equipment kept getting sent more and more to the police departments. That transfer agreement that was mentioned just a moment ago by Amnesty International was um, put into place and amplified during those years. So they know that the Democratic Party, and specifically the leadership that is currently up for grabs for the presidency in Joe Biden, is not necessarily their friend. After all, when uh, pointed out that perhaps police were being too violent against protesters, Biden's response, literally, his response was, well, maybe we should train them to shoot people in the leg. In the leg. Joe, maybe we should train them not to be shooting protesters. How about that? Unfortunately, that's the problem right now. See, when your average political analysts define the term of swing voter, they think of those who swing their support between Democrat to Republican, between election cycles, depending. And according to that conventional idea, the most swing-like voters are your working-class white people in the Midwest. Uh, they supposedly hold the keys to the White House. 
And on the same time, that same conventional wisdom will portray black Americans as just undifferentiated mass of people. They're always loyal Democrat supporters and foot soldiers who will execute their mission for the team every November Tuesday as long as there's somebody to provide the right marching orders in the pulpit on Sunday. Yeah. Now, here's the deal. Both of these depictions of the traditional swing voter and, of course, of black Americans are outdated at best and, in some cases, racist at worst. The fact is, they're at the very least stale. If you've studied electoral trends over the past few decades, and I certainly have, I can tell you that those undecided voters of the past are an endangered species in the Midwest and everywhere else. These days, most Americans are only making one choice, the one that really swings the election outcome, and that's whether or not to vote, period. Now that brings us to the characterization of black Americans as democratic loyalists. In a survey of over 1,200 African Americans in battleground states such as Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, Michigan, Florida, North Carolina, Georgia, reveals that while those over 60, the older black Americans remain strong as the most reliable Democratic voters. Those between 40 and 59, relatively locked in, but those under 30 are anything but locked in. Only 47% of those black Americans under 30 years old that were surveyed plan to vote for the presumed Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. That's roughly the same percentage who have anything positive to say at all when asked one or two, what one or two words come to mind about the former vice president. Now, uh, Kathy Cohen, a professor of political science at the University of Chicago, he, she studies black youth political views, and she summed up the attitude in a recent podcast when she said, they've seen the election of black mayors, they've seen the election of the first black president, and they've also seen that their lives have not notably changed. So, we've already gone over those who have anything positive to say about Biden and plan to vote for him, 46 and 47% for the under 30 crowd uh, for black Americans. Now, to be clear, those who have anything positive to say about Donald Trump is about 5%, and those who plan to vote for Trump is 8%. Now, frankly, that's alarming that any 18 to 29 black Americans would be interested at all in voting for Donald Trump, but 8% are. Um... That said, those votes are needed. Um, you may remember last week I had an interview here on TMI with Greg Palast, where he outlined that we need all the support we can get. We can't take any votes for granted. So let's not. Thank you for listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler. Make sure to check out TMI, TMI, TMI.com for more. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>